Well, good to see all of you here tonight. Thanks for uh, making it out on this Sunday evening. Hope everybody has, as you look forward to, a week to make a difference for Christ. I hope that this morning's message about your prayer life and your being a witness outside of just your daily life and looking for those opportunities, I hope that God gives you many opportunities this week to really make a difference. Thinking about Sunday evenings and just what I wanted to share after First Peter and just thinking through how I wanted to encourage us to take everything that Paul said in the book of, of uh, Colossians and really just propel it forward. And I thought to myself, what's the best way for us as a church to hear a message that God wants us to hear to, to be able to refine and redefine, if need be, our convictions. And when I say convictions, a lot of times we think of what's important to us. But the convictions that we need to sometimes refine and they need to be redefined are convictions that are important to God. And there's a particular letter that Paul wrote to not just one church, but churches in all regions in this particular area. And this letter he wrote to them was one of his sharpest toned letters that he ever sent. Most of the time he gives a warm welcome and he says nice things to the people there or to the pastor there and shares where he is and where he's traveling, but not in this one. In fact, the tone in this particular letter is so sharp that he just jumps right at this particular region and all of these churches because their convictions don't line up with God. I mentioned this morning that we need to be on the lookout for people that need to be rescued. And when we think about rescuing people, of course, in our context as a church, we think about the gospel. And so I showed you those five ladies that were on a raft Looked like a rainbow unicorn, and you thought I was probably making that up. Well, in a little small town in southwest Illinois, there was a man who was stuck in the mud. He would a lot of times drive, ride his bike around this lake. Well, they had dredged the lake, and the water had gone down quite a bit in the lake, and so he got a little too close to the edge and got stuck in the mud. Well, he made it a point every time he would go around this lake on his bike that he would have his parrot on his shoulder. And this man got stuck in the mud this past week up to his waist and the parrot never left his shoulder. This man had to be rescued. It took hours to get him out of this waist-deep mud. He was stuck and the whole time the parrot is there on his shoulder. I can't make this kind of stuff up. I'm not that good of a preacher storyteller. I don't like to tell untrue stuff. I look for the most ridiculous things that happen to people, and I like to make fun of them. But people need to be rescued. And what do they need to be rescued from themselves? We need to be rescued from where we end up. The kinds of things that we put our, we, the kinds of situations, rather, that we put our lives in, the, the types of things that if we follow our own convictions about things or sometimes our own traditions of things in our life and our church and our families, 
Sometimes those things lead us to places that we don't belong. and Sometimes we can't get out of it. Oh, I suppose we could if we really wanted to, and it would take quite a rescue effort to get us up out of that foolishness that we've gotten ourselves into. But it takes the right effort. What Paul is so aggravated about these particular churches and the reason why his tone is so sharp in these letters is because they are in the business of rescuing people from themselves and they're doing it their way. They're using their own resources. They're altering what the message says so that it suits them and it tickles the ears of those hearing it, and what ends up happening is not only does the person needing to be rescued stay in the muck, but so does the church. And so what is a need for us as a church? What do we need to hear in order to get past the muck and get out of the, 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 sometimes the situation that we're in either as a church or as a Christian? How do we get unstuck? Paul tells us in the book of Galatians, all of the answers that we need are wrapped up in the gospel. And perhaps if our conviction isn't strong enough in the power of God that is the gospel of Jesus Christ, then we ourselves will get stuck and will stay there. Until we turn back to the gospel of Jesus Christ, until we get that right, There's nothing else that we can do that will ever be right. And so in this letter, if you'll take your Bibles and turn to Galatians chapter 1, we're going to look at real change. And how real change only comes from the power of God. In fact, Billy Graham once said, the world does need changing, society needs changing, The nation needs changing, but we will never change it unless we ourselves are changed. Our church, your family, every one of us on an individual level has to be changed by the right change agent, and that is only the power of God that is wrapped up in the good news of Jesus Christ. Listen to what Paul tells the church. In talking about being rescued, he mentions in these first five verses, in this half-hearted introduction, but also the reality of who he is, Paul says that he is an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. So I'm going to pause right there because he is talking to every church in the region of Galatia. It would almost be as though we here at Columbia Baptist Church are reading this letter and Paul says to all of the churches in the state of Kentucky, you're all in the same muck and mire. You're all doing the same thing. You're all having the same issue. You're all stuck in the same place. And I'm going to write one letter to you all. So this letter has deep application to every church, but it was written to an entire region. But did you notice what Paul said in the first verse? He said that he is an apostle, not from men, nor through men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Why does he say that? 
Because this is where the power of God comes from. This is where the good news of Jesus comes from. It is not from us. It is not from our church. It is not from a region. It is from God. And it is about Jesus Christ. Listen, any time that a church begins to fall short of the glory of God, it is when they fall short of making a big deal out of Jesus. We can have all the ministries that it takes to reach people for Christ. We can have all of the missions efforts and we can take all of the offerings and we can go on all of the trips and we can have all of the different ministries that touch every area of every family. But if it's not about Jesus wrapped up in the gospel, then it is all for no reason at all. Paul says he is called by God to do what he is doing, not from men nor through men, but through Jesus Christ. Verse 3, he says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I have a feeling Paul could have wrapped up the letter right there. Why so soon? Why just five verses into this letter could he have said, I'm done with you? Because this is the gospel. These verses, this, these two verses contain the power of God to set people free. He said, first of all, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus. Friend, this is what every person needs. They don't need peace of mind, they need the peace of God. They don't need to have necessarily every physical desire met and every, uh, every desire of their heart met. They need the ultimate peace from God that comes through grace that he pours out freely upon all those who believe. You see, we can as a church get wrapped up in meeting needs, which is not a problem, in fact, it is our responsibility to look to our community and find ways to impact people's lives by meeting their needs and meeting their, uh, sometimes their financial needs, sometimes their basic needs like their food and, and sometimes even rent and, and electricity or sometimes just being a blessing to them uh, through the schools and through community agencies. And all of that are things that we are biblically called to do. However... As we do those things, and what propels us to do those things is not our good nature, it is our second nature that comes from God. It is that grace that God has poured out to us, and through our doing, we also want to pour out grace upon others. That's why in Colossians this morning, Paul said, fill your mouths with grace. Not with harshness, not with judgmental attitudes, not with, I'm better than you. Or I told you you'd end up like this. Or what did you expect would happen? No, but grace that builds people up and not tears them down. They need grace and peace. And he says in verse 4, Jesus, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. This is why we are set free in Jesus to be delivered. Now, we love to sing songs about heaven. 
We love to sing songs about the future glory of God being revealed. We love to sing about the robes being washed in white, and we should. But the first taste of salvation that we get, Paul says, is in this present age. You see, the great mystery of being a believer is, and so many people have asked over the years, and that is, now that I'm a Christian, now that I have had all of my sins forgiven, can I just do what I want to? And then just feel bad about it later? Can I just sin how I want to and God's obligated to forgive me now that I know that Jesus' blood can cover my sin? We know the answer to that is absolutely not. That's not why Jesus set us free. He didn't set us free to sin. He set us free from sin. But we have been saved in this present age so that our lives have been transformed. Our lives are different. And friend, what Paul is telling the church is the good news of Jesus Christ is the only thing that changes us now. The only way to get a new nature The only way to stop being who we've always been and start being who we ought to be is when God reaches into us, plants himself within us, and places his Holy Spirit in our lives because we have trusted by grace through faith in the good news of Jesus Christ and what he did for us on the cross. And that's why he is upset with these churches. Because they've forgotten that. Say, Pastor, how could they forget How could they take the gospel and change it? How could they take the most important foundation of everything we believe in as a church and alter it just to make other people happy? If you ask yourself that question, you've apparently not ever become familiar with human nature. Every church wants to be the greatest thing going. Every Christian wants to be looked looked at as though they have all the answers. Every family wants to act like they've got it all together. Nobody is willing to stand up and say, I'm the most broken person in the room. My life is the most jacked up. I have the most issues, the most problems, and I don't mind telling you, but by the grace of God, I would be dead right now. People don't like to say that. Because it makes us look bad. And churches want to have this appearance that everything is just fine. Everything is great. Everything is lovely. Friends, we are a hospital for sinners. This is a place where broken people belong. And the only hope that we offer to broken people is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul says, you've forgotten that. So we need to be rescued. We need to be set free from ourselves. We need to be turned around. And and sometimes we we get used to doing a certain thing. We get upset sometimes when that certain thing gets altered. And sometimes we should. Sort of like a restaurant chain in Maine. Fall mainly on the plane. No, a restaurant chain in Maine changed some of y'all will get that because you're cultured people some of you are saying i don't i don't get it that's okay it's what the internet's for you know youtube and stuff but anyway this chain altered their french fries since 1962 when they opened in waterville 
uh, Water, Waterville, uh, Maine, they had been serving crinkle cut fries. But every month they had to change out the blades to cut the potatoes, and that was getting too expensive, so they went to just regular fries. And you would have thought that the whole restaurant chain had altered, gone from, you know, hamburgers to chicken or something. You know, all they were serving was grilled cheese. You would think, I mean, these people lost their mind. There were violent attacks on the management. And on the business owners for altering the crinkle cut fries since 1962. I mean, nasty emails and, 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 and violent threats. They even had, they were even shipping food to China. They heard all the way from China issues with these, with the change in fries. Now, I know here we are in Kentucky, and we're more sensible than people in Maine. And you can change up our fries, and we're okay with that, right? Well, this is at Bali's restaurant in Maine. And one of the owners said, people think we're changing tradition. They said, we've given so much respect to the previous owners. I mean, here it was, this executive decision to save money and to make it cost-effective to get the fries, but it didn't come in the form that the people wanted. They want the fries the way they want the fries. Finally, somebody said, when somebody is hostile, you don't know where the end point's going to be. If you're getting into fights over French fries, you've got bigger problems. What do we fight about as a church? What gets our feathers ruffled? What gets us so excited for the bad? What makes us argue with each other? The shape of the fries? Or the fact that we have something to offer to the world that is approved by God? Now, there are some traditions that should stay. And by God's grace, if, if God's called us to serve crinkle-cut fries and we're going to pay for the blades... No matter what, we're going to take a special offering to buy the blades if that's what we need to do, if that's what God's called us to do. That's a tradition worth saving. However, the most important thing that we have to remember as a church is that people need to be rescued. And sometimes the packaging may be a little different. Sometimes the presentation may alter. Sometimes it may be a little bit more cost-effective to do it this way than that way. But if the essence and the core of what we're offering is the same, even if the form, the shape, and, and the style of it is a little bit different, by God's grace, just offer it. And let's give the people what they need to be rescued. There is a rescue effort. Then there is a renewal effort. People outside of the church need to be rescued. But Paul then turns his attention inside the church and said, but it's the church that needs to be renewed. As you're praying about people that you know on a personal level, people in your family, people that you come in contact with that need to be rescued, what is it that you're going to tell them? What is it that you're going to offer them? We need to have that renewal as a church that we get it. And what is it that we get? Notice in verse 6 through verse 10, the Bible says, I am astonished 
that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you receive, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Paul is amazed that the church has gotten the gospel wrong. The very core of who we are as Christians should never change. The very foundation of what gives us not only life, but eternal life. The very name that we call upon. The Lord Jesus, whom every prayer is in His name. The good news of Christ that sets us free, that should fill every song, every ministry, every message. Paul said, I am astonished. He is amazed and he is disappointed that they have, as he said, so quickly deserted him who called you in the grace of Christ. You notice that he says they're not turning from it, they're turning from him. The message that we say that is the gospel of Jesus Christ is not about a string of words that we preach. It's not about a long presentation that has adverbs and participles and, and nouns and adjectives. And all. No, it is Jesus. The gospel of Christ is the person of Jesus. And when we're sharing the gospel, we're pointing people to him. And Paul says if you turn away from the gospel, you're turning away from Jesus. Listen, we can't exalt Christ and downplay the message. We can't say that we're followers of Christ and yet preaching a different gospel. Paul says, first of all, there isn't another one. He says, but even if there was, even if someone came to you, even if an apostle came to you, even if an angel came to you, there is no other message. In fact, as Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 to 19, he said, for you know, that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. John says in 1 John chapter 1, verse 7, the blood of Jesus, His Son, purifies us from all sin. If we turn away from the gospel of Christ, we are turning away from the blood that washes us whiter than snow. That is to turn our back on the one who shed his blood, the one who deserves our life, the one who has given us life. Friend, ask yourself for just a moment, how important is the good news of Jesus Christ to you? 
I don't mean the day that you came forward in a service and signed a card or the, the day in Bible school when you raised your hand or even the day that you were baptized because in those moments, of course, the gospel means everything to us. I mean every moment since then. How important is the good news of Christ to you when you go to work? How important is the gospel of Christ when you're talking to your children and your grandchildren? How important is the gospel whenever you're conducting business or you're talking to someone outside of your home or on the telephone or through email or text? How saturated is your life with the gospel of Jesus? Because if it's not, then it's not that you can say, hey, I'm a follower of Christ, but I, I don't talk about the gospel. We can't help. But to be a follower of Christ and to tell people about the one that we're following. We can't help but to have words that come out of our mouth almost involuntarily about the blood of Jesus Christ. And so, Pastor, I don't want to offend people. I don't want to make anybody uncomfortable. Think about what their life is going to be after it's over on this earth. And how uncomfortable they're going to be in a place called hell that's not even designed for them, but is going to be their eternal destiny if they're outside of a relationship with God. Paul says this is why the gospel is so important. It not only sets you free, but it should saturate everything about you. This is part of this, this regeneration, this renewal process that we're going through. And he said, I'm astonished that you're so quickly turning away from it. Verse 7, not that there's another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Trouble you. Bother you. Influence you. Try to convince you. I am convinced that the only hope that I have on this earth and all throughout eternity is the blood of Jesus Christ. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. And may God strike me if I ever place my faith and trust in anything other than His blood. And Paul says some people are troubling you to downplay the importance of Jesus. And I'm here to tell you, we don't have time to fool around and alter the gospel. I don't care how big the community is. I don't care what, our, what size the membership is of any church. I don't care what you do for a living or how long you've been retired from, from active duty necessarily or how many people you come in contact. We all have a responsibility to reach someone. And the only way we can do it is not to distort the gospel of Christ, not to take and, and, and change it up and make it what we want it to be. Verses 8 through 10. Paul gives the strongest language in any letter he ever wrote. And it is so strong, he says it twice. I want you to pick up on it, and then I want to leave you with a few thoughts. He says, But even if we, verse 8, or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preached, to you, let him be accursed. 
As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you receive, let him be accursed. That word accursed is anathema. It is the strongest word that Paul uses in any of his language. And he is literally saying if somebody alters the message of Jesus Christ, may God at that moment consider them cursed. Think how dangerous it is to take the essence, the core, the foundation of what we do as a church, of how we have life in the name of Jesus, and how we have eternal life through Him, and we seek to change it, to make it more enjoyable, to make it easier to stomach, to make it a little less offensive, kind of take the rough edges off and just kind of make it just slide out of our mouth and ooze into the ear and just bring about a smile on someone's face. Gone are the days when people would come into a church and respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ with tears and brokenness and sadness, and realizing that if their life in that moment was over, that they would spend the rest of eternity separated from God, and because of their own sin, because of the decisions they made in their life, because of how far off the mark they had missed, the glory of God, they were broken over their sin and poured their heart out to God, and now Paul is saying, if you mess with that, if you alter that, if you change what God is going to do in the life of someone that needs to be saved, may God consider you cursed. That's the strongest language that Paul gives in any letter he wrote. And I frankly decided a long time ago to say whatever the Bible says. It gets me in trouble sometimes. It keeps me out of trouble a whole lot of times. But I have become convinced, and I will forever be convinced, that whatever God says is what I need to say, and whatever God says is what our church needs to say, and whatever God says is what you need to say. When I was a kid, growing up in South Louisiana, I had what we called woods back behind our house. A lot of trees, a lot of, you know, undeveloped land. And on the street that I lived on, I had about five or six friends of mine that were about the same age. And we all lived pretty much on the same side of the street, so our houses backed up against all of those woods. And we had bike trails, and we would take our dad's machetes, and we would, you know, clear a path. Well, one day we had a big enough area that we decided to build a clubhouse. And we found some pallets and we found some boxes. I mean, this was fancy. And we made ourselves a club. We took some paint. We painted our names on the inside of that clubhouse, which was only big enough for about two people at one time. But we painted our names on the inside of that clubhouse and we had all these rules that everybody had to follow if they wanted to be in the club. Now, what you have to understand is none of us had to abide by those rules because we were the founder of the club. 
But anybody who wanted to get in the club, they had to follow our rules, and we had to make sure that, uh, that they knew what those rules were. I can tell you right now, that club died pretty fast. We didn't get any takers around the neighborhood to join our club and do all the stuff that we had said that they should do, and so it just went back to being about the four or five of us having a good time riding through the woods. But that little lesson taught me that if as a church we look at ourselves as a group that's similar to a club and we come up with all of these things that we want people to do and we may write them on the wall or put them down on a sheet of paper and tell people, now listen, you've got to do all of this stuff and you've got to be like this. Now we, don't, we didn't have to do it, but if you want to be part of us, then you have to do it. Our club is going to die pretty fast because God's hand is not going to be on it. But if we say to every person that walks into the doors of this church, we look them eyeball to eyeball and we say, I don't know where you come from. I don't know what you've done. I don't know how bad it is in your house and I don't know who has called you what and thinks what about you, but I and the most broken person in this place, and I don't mind to tell you that I need Jesus too. If we can do that, if we could point people to Jesus and say, friend, the only hope that you have is Jesus' blood. The only thing that can change you is not being a part of our club, but being part of the family of God. The only hope that you have is admitting that you're a sinner and trusting in Jesus that when he died on the cross, he died for your sins. And by placing your faith and trust in him, you can be eternally saved and you can be born again. It's not about our club. It's not about our rules. It's not about our pews. It's not about us. It's all about him. And Paul says, let's make sure as a church we never forget that. Because that's the kind of ministry that God is going to bless. People need to be rescued. And churches need to be renewed. And that's when God will begin to move in ways that we can only give Him credit for. Is that something you're going to pray about this week with me? And say, God, would you renew our church to fix our eyes on the gospel of Jesus and only on Him? God, would you call us to be faithful that the conversations that we have, that the people we come in contact with, that we will point them to Christ. That while we may do good things and we may do good ministry and we may meet some needs, Father, the most important thing that we could ever do is to tell them the truth about Jesus. We may get some stuff wrong. We may not do everything right. But by God's grace and for his glory, let's make sure that we get the good news of Jesus right every single time. Would you pray with me? Father, we're so thankful to be called your children. There is absolutely nothing within any of us that is deserving to be saved. There's no habit that we have. There's no redeemable factor about our life. There's nothing nice and lovely about us that we deserve to be saved. Father, we are sinners that fall short of your glory.
but because of your love, you sent your one and only Son to die in our place and for our sin. And the only hope that we have is trusting in Jesus. God, if there's any person here tonight that needs to trust in Christ, any person listening on the radio that needs to know Jesus personally, God, may today be the day, may tonight be the night that they come in contact with you, confess their sin, and are born again. God, may you continually renew our church to be a place of hope where broken people can be put back together through the grace and mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.